This morning we're going to continue our study of the book of Joshua. And we're going to look at a a really interesting story in in chapters 9 and 10 in Joshua. And it deals with something that we might call the Gibeonite caper, or it's a trick, or it was a scheme that these people from Gibeon had uh, to trick the children of Israel. And we're going to look at that because I think there's some, some lessons here for us to learn and apply to our lives as we look at the way that Israel handled this situation. Uh, just in review, though, before I want to put you, if, if we can, in the sandals of someone who might have been uh, one of the children of Israel and what you would have seen in the, the months coming up to this time. And we remember that uh, they were led across the River Jordan on dry land, that, that uh, they came across at a time where there was a great flood, there was a season of of harvest, there was a flood there in, the, in that valley, and and the river of Jordan was was quite wide. But God split that river, and just as as their their fathers and mothers had done some generation before at the Red Sea, now they crossed the river Jordan on dry land. And then we remember that the first thing that they ran into is they were supposed, they were given a, an order. God said that I want you to go in here and I want you to utterly destroy these people. This is the land that I have promised to Abraham some 430 years before. This is the land that I promised you and you're to take that land. And I'll be with you and we'll take that land together. And so they went to this city and they saw Jericho. And it was, it was a mighty city that was protected by this great wall. And they looked at it and it was like, how? There's no way. But we remember that because of, because of God's power being with them that He caused the wall to fall and they took that great city. Next we noticed, and you would have seen if you would have lived in that time, that, that uh, they were going to attack a, a community called Ai. And when they attacked that particular city, we found that, that they went away, they got whipped bad. And the reason they did is because there was a man in the camp named Achan that took of the accursed thing. They were supposed to destroy everything, but Achan violated God's will. And so God was not with Israel on that occasion. And they and they were, were defeated soundly, even though that city wasn't near as great as Jericho because God wasn't with them. But yet later, we find that they went back to Ai and through through God's grace, because they got things right, that they took that city and they, they actually used the strategy that kind of played on their previous defeat. They camped out in the in the in front of the city and and the, the men of AI saw that and they said, Let's go defeat them again. We've whipped them once, let's go get them. And they all rushed out of the city. And they had another group of men that came in behind and burnt the whole city behind them. So God instructed uh, Joshua to do that. And so again, put yourself in that situation. Uh, that it, What would it have been like to have been one of the children of Israel in this time? And this happened in a, in a fairly short period of time, so you would have been able to, to both see that and remember it. Let's look in, in chapter 9, in verse number 9, it says, And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of Jordan, in the hills and the lowlands and in the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, heard about it that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. 
These people probably didn't like each other. But in Israel, they recognized that there was an enemy bound to destroy them. And if they were going to survive, they were going to have to come together. And they were going to have to put aside whatever differences that they might have. And they were going to have to fight for their survival against Israel. And so this was the mentality of those people. And you can kind of see in this map here kind of where those folks were were located. But there was a there was a group in the middle there from Gibeon. And they were they were also of they were called Hivites themselves. They were of that tribe. Um, and they were from Gibeon and they chose a little bit different tact to deal with Israel. It says, but when the, the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. So here's what they did. They pretended that they were from a far-off country. They took some old sacks and they put it upon their donkeys to make it appear that they had traveled a great distance. They took these wineskins that were old and cracked and they again, it, to, to help foster this ruse that they were coming from a far-off land. They took the oldest sandals that they could find and they wore those sandals. Their clothes were tattered. Their bread was old and decaying and dried out. Again, part of the, the image that they were trying to convey because they knew that the children of Israel were told to not make a treaty with people in that area. And so they went to Israel and they said, let's make a treaty. Agree not to attack us. We've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Now, the men of Israel said, well... How can we know that you don't live right here amongst us? And we're not supposed to make a covenant with people that live right here in this land because this land's been promised to us by God. So we're not supposed to do that. Oh no, we've come from a far off land and we will be your servants. And so because of the, the story that they told and because of the evidence that, that they saw that they chose to do that. They chose to, to go into covenant with them. But here's the thing that I want you to notice right away. That they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So they looked at the physical evidence that was before them. They came to their own conclusions. And they didn't seek counsel of God. And they made a decision to go into covenant with these people. Now, have you ever done that? A big decision that you needed to make. And then you made the decision and then you realized that, you know, I really didn't even take time to pray about that. I remember a situation not too long ago for me. Is, uh, I was working as assistant principal to middle school and my boss came in and uh, she's an assistant superintendent and she said, hey, I've got a great job that we'd like to move you to. If you're interested in doing this, you're perfectly welcome to stay where you are, but we've got a job that you can move to an elementary school and be an instructional coach at that at that school. And, and I'd never worked at elementary, and so just instinctively I said, you know, thank you so much for thinking of me. I really do appreciate that. But I'm just not elementary, and I've never done that, and, and so I don't have any business doing that. And so right there on the spot, I said no. 
Didn't consult God. Didn't even talk to anybody else. It was about a week and a half later that I was sitting right here in this assembly and Brother Dusty was up giving a lesson. And I don't remember the exact subject of the lesson. But somewhere in that lesson, he talked about pride. And he said of himself that he had a problem with pride. Now, those of you that know Dusty, probably probably shake your head and go, well, if Dusty's got a problem with pride, all of us have a problem with pride. Because Dusty's a pretty humble person. And so I began to realize and think about what I had done and I recognized that I had a problem with pride too. And I had made a decision that was probably a bad one because I had not sought counsel from God. I had not even taken the time to pray and think about that decision. But I made that decision too hastily. And it was all about pride. And I was passing up on something that could be really good. So the next day I got back to work and I texted my boss, Is that job still available? Wait. Few, few, maybe two or three minutes go by. Yes, but we're doing something soon. Are you, are you still, are you interested? Yes. So I did that. I took that job. It's the best job I've ever had. It was fantastic. And, but because of my pride, I wasn't able to do that at first. And I think that's what we see here is that these guys were successful at Jericho. They were successful at Ai. But then they get to this this situation and they didn't ask counsel of God. They just weighed the evidence in front of them and they made the decision. And maybe it wasn't the best one. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them and they swore to them by God. And now... Let's talk about different levels of agreement for just a minute because I think this is important. You know, if um, if you and I say, if you call me up and you say, "Hey, I'd like you, I'd like to, would you meet me at Starbucks at eleven o'clock?" and I say, "Sure, I think I can, I can work that in my schedule. I'll meet you at eleven o'clock." And then you call back and you say, "Hey, something has come up. I can't make it eleven. How about one? Is that a big deal?" Well, that's not a big deal. We can certainly make accommodations for schedules and things that come up and, and changes like that. But a covenant is a different type relationship. A covenant is a very serious relationship. It is something that you don't do lightly. It is something that you enter into, enter, to, enter into very soberly. For example, for a person that becomes a Christian... That's a covenant relationship that you are setting up yourself in a relationship with your God and you're understanding you're giving up your rights to you and the Lord's taking you over as, as, as His. And in exchange for that, you'll have eternal life. You'll have salvation one day because of that. That's a covenant relationship. And covenant relationships were done like this. I've got this picture up here. It's a little bit hard to see, but in essence what they did in a covenant is they dug a ditch and they took an animal and sometimes maybe more than one animal and they split that animal in half and they let the blood of that animal run down that ditch. And you made your, you made your agreement over this ditch. And what you're really saying is, if I break this deal, may that happen to me. 
That's what you're really saying in a covenant relationship. So it's a serious transaction, something that you shouldn't take lightly. And so Israel did that. But as it happened, at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. So what do you do? You're in this relationship. Now, in American culture, if it were a contract, what would you do? You would say, it's fraud. I was frauded. I entered into this agreement, and but it was under false pretense. And so the contract, if you were in American courts, and you could prove that there was fraud, you could probably be absolved of your responsibilities under the contract. So let's look at how Israel handled this. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. So it was, it became not just about the Gibeonites, it became about Israel's relationship with God. And they said, we've sworn to them by God that we won't do that. And so if, if that's, that's a covenant and we have evoked the name of God, we certainly can't do that. You think that was popular? Not at all. And the congregation complained against the rulers because they had been defrauded and just your natural instincts. Wouldn't you want to, wouldn't you want to betray that? Wouldn't you want to say, hey, we've got fraud here? We would have done it, but what you told us wasn't true. But the rulers decided that wasn't the way to go. That they had a covenant and that covenant was with God as much as it was with the Gibeonites. And so we're not going to do that. We're not going to attack them. Well, it gets even better. So when Joshua called them, he spoke to them saying, Why have you deceived us saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now therefore you are accursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So, in other words, there was a price to pay for your, for your safety, for your uh, not being attacked. We won't attack you, but there's a price to pay and you're going to have... I, I took this picture of this guy that's got a pretty rough job, it looks like. Looks like that's not a good job. You wouldn't want that job. But they were going to be slaves and that was the price that they paid for their... Um, uh, for for uh, tricking Israel and for going into this relationship with them under false pretense. Now, the plot thickens. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites gathered together and went up, and they all and all their armies and they camped before Gibeon and made war against it. So, now all these kings, instead of attacking Israel. They go up and they're going to fight against Gibeon. Now, if you're from Israel, think about it. Wouldn't you want to say, sweet, we're going to get out of this after all. Because they'll get attacked, they'll get wiped out. We won't be under the covenant anymore. What a great deal. Well, that wasn't how they took, that wasn't the approach they took. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. 
For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Wouldn't you be tempted to say, who is this? I don't know you. I don't owe you that. Wouldn't that be your temptation? Again, this is my way out of this this fraudulent contract, this covenant that I really didn't want to get into in the first place. But now you're supposed to be our servant and you're begging for our help. But God intervened and He said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. It says that Joshua marched his troops all night long to get, to get to that battle. And they fought that battle and they won completely. In a sense, if you think about it, God had told the children of Israel they were going to have to fight all these people anyway. So maybe putting them all together in one area to whip them at one time was a pretty good deal. So that's what they did. And God was with them and He completely routed all of these kings of the Amorites and their troops and wiped them completely out. And as they fled before Israel, so you think about this great battle, and the battle, Israel wins the battle, and all these these armies are scattered abroad, and they run away, and they're trying to get away from Israel. Here's That's not the end of it. And as they fled before Israel, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them, as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than from... Than, from, than the children of Israel killed with the sword. So they were wiped completely out. And God took direct action to get involved in that. Well, even more than that, it says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when, when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the, the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, Stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijah, Aijalon. So he causes the sun to stand still. That Joshua speaks and the sun stands still until Israel can complete its work. So the, the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Can you imagine what that would be like to see the sun stand and for hours and hours and hours doesn't move? In other words, it would be the equivalent here of it's it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and it stays 2 o'clock for a whole day or for two days. I don't know how long it was, but it was long enough for God to get the work done through Israel that needed to be done. And here's Joshua's comment about that. And when he reflected on this day, he says, There has been no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So the question I would have is why? Sure, we know that he promised that, that Israel would prevail against all those people, 
But why was God so especially pleased in this case with Israel that He, he, he directly intervened in a couple of ways? The hailstones and the stopping of the sun and moon. Well, I don't really know, but I can guess it probably had to do something something with the, the faithfulness of Israel with their covenant. That yes, they made the mistake and they didn't seek counsel of God and they probably should have done that. But at the end of the day, when they made that agreement, they recognized that they were bound to that agreement and they stayed with it. And because of that, I believe that God that God intervened in some unique ways that we don't see Him every day doing, even in this day. So the lesson is about God's faithfulness to Israel. That God had promised them that 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 land, that they would be successful in going in and wiping out those people. And just as He promised Abraham some 400 and something years before, that that land would be theirs and that they would prevail. God was faithful to Israel as long as Israel was halfway faithful to God. For the Christian, God is faithful today to you and I. Not in the same way. And I want to be sure we understand that and don't get confused on that point. Because um, I think so many times in, in today's world there are people that preach that, you know, if you just live a good life that... And, and, and you, and you, and you obey God, then everything will be roses for you in this life. And that the moment that you step, if people are having difficulties or having disease, it's because they're out of line with God. And I don't believe there's a truth to that at all. I believe that, that the promise to them, to the children of Israel, was about the here and now. That you, you obey me now, I'll be faithful for you and I'll take care of you now. But for us, it's different. For us, He asks us to be obedient here and now with a promise that is to come. Not here and now. Not that tomorrow will be great. Not that next week will be great. But there's, that there's a salvation that is awaiting for us. So our faithfulness to God is... To them, He held the sun and moon still. To us, He gave us... His Son, S-O-N. And He died on the cross that you and I can have a relationship with Him like none other. He's promised that to us. He's given us that opportunity. This morning, if your relationship is not right with God, if, if you've entered into this contract, this covenant with Him, and you recognize as you examine yourself, you've been unfaithful. That God is faithful, but you haven't been faithful. I would encourage you to make that right with Him. You can do that in several ways. You can have people in the congregation pray for you. Uh, you can you can perhaps fix that on your own. If we can assist you in any way and pray for you as a congregation, we would be delighted to do that. And also, if you're not a child of God, just like He is with Hep in that day, He held the sun still to allow Israel to defeat its enemies. There's a judgment that's coming, but He's held it off. It's not happening right now. might happen later today, might happen tomorrow, might happen a thousand years from now. We don't know. 
But God has withheld that judgment and He's given us today the opportunity to make ourselves right with Him by either entering into that covenant relationship with Him, by confessing our faith in Jesus Christ and becoming a child of Him, His through baptism, or by repenting and getting ourselves right with Him. So if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.